Well, good morning, church family. Uh, Pastor Nate and Jenny are currently in Germany right now at the second go-around of their daughter's wedding. She's marrying an incredible German guy, so they did a ceremony over there as well. So that's where they're out. They're at. If we have not met, my name is Evan, and I am the uh, young adult and college pastor here at Faith Chapel. And then for the last 12 weeks, I've got to add the incredible responsibility of hanging out with this crew every single week. So I get to hang out with junior hires and high schoolers every week as well. And it was brought to my attention last night that I need to make it very clear. Shane did not get fired. He is still here. He is still the junior high pastor. We just get to do this thing together. Shane and I have known each other since we were about nine years old, so it's absolutely unbelievable to get to do this together. Uh, I grew up in this church. Uh, I found Jesus in this church. I was baptized in this church, and now it's pretty surreal that I get to teach in this church. I absolutely love it here. And uh, my, my parents moved to Ogden, Utah, and uh, I was born there, but my mom is from here. My dad grew up in Deer Lodge, the city, not the prison, and um, <clears throat> they moved back to Billings uh, when I was two years old. And so I've been a part of this church for 28 years, and uh, it's just been such a joy to do this, and uh, I can't believe that this is what I get to do. So even though I've been here for 28 years, I still want to do the typical guest speaker thing, and I want to introduce you to my family. So first, we have a picture on the screen of my beautiful wife, Larissa. Uh, Larissa and I have been married for eight years as of July, which means that we got married when we were 21 and 22, uh, which was too young to get married. Everybody told us that, but uh, everything's working out great, and uh, she's awesome. She's my rock, and uh, she makes this job even that much more enjoyable because she loves to be plugged in to it. And then secondly, we have a picture of my son, Maddox Oliver. He is five years old. He uh, started kindergarten on Monday, and he broke his arm on Friday. So it's uh, been quite the week for him, but he's a trooper. Uh, he's doing great, and uh, I could not be more proud of the little man that he is. Every time you think about having a son, like this is, he has surpassed everything that I could have ever wanted for in a son, and it's been absolutely amazing. And then lastly, a picture of my daughter, Zara Baraket, and she is four years old, and she started preschool this week, and I know what you're thinking. The resemblance is uncanny. Uh, She's obviously not our uh, biological daughter. She's from Ethiopia, and we've had her home for about 10 months now, and she's doing incredible. She is uh, a little firecracker. She has a, a huge attitude, and she is learning so, so fast, and it's just been an absolute joy. So it's easy to say that I am a blessed man. And so uh, this week we're going to be in our second week of the series entitled Radical Grace. Last week, Nate talked about this uh, idea of grace and the idea that it is unmerited favor, that it was unearned, that it was a gift freely given by Jesus to us. And this week, we're going to talk about a story that many of us are probably familiar with if you grew up in the church. It's the story of Peter's denial of Jesus. And uh, we're going to talk about this concept of failure and how grace redeems failure and grace uh, just this heals so many broken things in our lives. But before we jump into scripture, would you just bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this place. We're thankful for a community of people that we can come and we can do life with. Not everybody gets to do this. And so Jesus, we want to recognize that this is uh, an amazing thing. Lord, would you be here? Would you speak to each and every one of us through your word? Let the words that I speak this morning not be mine, but would they be yours? We love you. In your name. Amen. So, 
to start off, I want to look at an interaction between Jesus and his disciples, and in particular, an interaction between Jesus and Peter. And I want to set the stage a little bit. So they're sitting at the Last Supper, and Jesus makes a statement that makes all of the disciples very, very uncomfortable. They're having a conversation, and then Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And so naturally, the disciples start to look at each other, and they're like, well, I would never do that. I bet it would be you, because you're kind of a screw-up. And they start to have that conversation with each other. And being men, they even take it a step further, and they say, I wouldn't betray Jesus because I'm actually the greatest among us. And so then they start to have a debate about who is the greatest among them. And so Jesus kind of brings it in and has a, a singular conversation with Peter. And he says, beyond the betrayal... I want to have a conversation with you. And he says this in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. But Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. So the first point this morning is this, is that confidence comes easy before the trial. Confidence comes easy before the trial. We probably all found ourselves in situations where we have a ton of confidence going into a situation that we've actually never experienced before. That could be a job interview that you went into with a ton of confidence, but then that job interview was a lot different than any of the other job interviews that you've had, and you kind of start to, start to panic because they're asking real questions, not just asking you your three strengths and your three weaknesses. Or you start to go into another situation, uh, one that, that I think that maybe is just my generation. I don't know why, but like the nuclear holocaust, it's like 90% of movies now. And men are like, I would be the guy who's left at the end. Like, I would make it. I would have a fortress. People would come to me for protection. It's like, you have never experienced that. Why do you have so much confidence that you would be that guy? And for me personally, one of the examples that came to my mind was my freshman year of high school. My friends and I floated uh, the Yellowstone River a ton. My buddy's dad had a raft that we would borrow, and uh, we would take it out on the river. And then we decided that we didn't want to do the Yellowstone anymore. We had done that enough, so we wanted to go up to the Stillwater. And there's just a, such a beautiful flow outside of Columbus down the Stillwater. And we started to do it, and the first time that we did it, we came around this curve, and there was this cliff that people were jumping off of. And we were like, that's rad. Like, we should do that. We don't have time today, but next weekend, let's come back and let's do that. And I was like, yeah, we're going to do that. And I'm going to do a backflip off that thing. Like, I had so much confidence. It was going to be epic. And we get to the next weekend. We do the flow. I have so much confidence all week. We're talking about it at school. And then we get to the cliff, and I look up at it, and I'm like, yep, still confident. And then we get up on top of it. My friends go, one, two, three, and then it's my turn. And I get to the edge, and I go, nah, no, not going to do that. Because it looked a lot higher from up there than it did from down below. But then... A 75-year-old woman comes running by me and does like a full 360, <laughs> laughing the entire time. And I was like, well, now I have to. So I just like went to the edge and like fell into the water. <laughs> but a lesson that that taught me was that sometimes lessons can only be learned in the midst of the trial. Lessons can only be learned in the midst of the experience. And Peter found that out when it came to this interaction with Jesus. So we're going to fast forward just a little bit to the moment where Jesus is being arrested and Peter gets to experience a lesson. 
So Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. It says, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. When faced with the actual trial before him, Peter makes a couple of mistakes. The first being, being this. He overestimates himself and underestimates his weaknesses. Now, none of us would ever struggle with that, right? We do not have a tendency to overestimate ourselves, and we always are aware of our weaknesses. No, we are just like Peter way too often because we want to be defined by that which makes us successful. We want to be defined by the attributes that makes it, make us attractive to a possible job, to another person, to culture in general. We want to be, be defined by those things. We have a tendency to avoid our weaknesses. But an encouragement that I would have for you this morning is this, is identify your weaknesses. Figure out where it is in your life where you are weak. And that can be vocationally, that can be relationally, and that can absolutely be spiritually. Because when we identify our weaknesses, it makes us a lot less susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. If we know that we shouldn't put ourselves in certain situations or around certain things, we can avoid those things if we make sure we are aware of them. It's so vitally important. When we are aware of our weaknesses, we can be intentional about working on those things. If we know that we're weak, then we can spend time trying to be less weak. We can gain strength in those areas when we spend time in them. And most importantly, when we identify our weaknesses, it makes us acutely aware of our need of Jesus. Because there are areas of our life where we are undoubtedly weak and we need Jesus to be strong. And that's a promise that God has made to us. Where you are weak, I will be strong. Where you are insufficient, I will be sufficient. Where you are lacking, I will be enough. And when we understand that we are messy and we are broken and we have weaknesses, we are so much more apt to lean into Jesus and recognize that and let our relationship with him grow and flourish. The second mistake that uh, Peter makes is this, is that he becomes worried about self-preservation. He becomes worried about self-preservation. The passage, passage says that he follows at a distance, which is understandable, right? Like Jesus is being drugged. He just got arrested, drugged into the, the temple courtyards in front of the high priest. Most likely he's going to end up in front of the Roman government. Peter's like, no, nah, I don't really want to be a part of that. I don't want to actually have to participate in his sufferings. And I just want to ask a question this morning is that maybe some of us are following Jesus at a distance because we are afraid of the complications that come with following him closely. 
Maybe we're afraid to follow him closely because it makes life a little bit more complicated. That there are things in our lives that now we have to think about that we might not have thought about before. That we are held to a standard that we wouldn't, wouldn't be held to if we didn't follow Jesus. But Jesus didn't say that life would be comfortable. He didn't say that life would be convenient. He didn't say that following him would make everything easy. What he said was that everything that we do in his name would be worth it. That we would get to spend eternity in heaven with him, no matter the trials and tribulations that we face here on earth. You see, when we focus on self-preservation, we, f- we miss out on opportunities to not only allow ourselves to grow, but to allow other people to grow as well. I think one of the hardest parts about this passage is that not only did Peter deny knowing Jesus three times, he also missed out on three opportunities to speak Jesus into somebody's life. And he didn't even have to track them down to witness to them. They actually came to him and said, hey, are you with Jesus? And he could have just said, yes, I am, and here's why. I believe that he is the Messiah. I believe this, that, and the other. But he didn't. And the reason that it's so frustrating for me is because I know that that's probably what I would have done too. That my fear and my humanity and my desire for self-preservation probably would have kicked in and I would have missed those opportunities too. You see, when we are focused on self, it is hard to focus on others. And that's the point. That we're not in this just for ourselves. Being a part of a movement of Jesus is being a part of a community where we lift each other up and we strengthen each other and we encourage each other and we lead other people into perfect relationship with Jesus. If you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard the statement, you cannot feed other people if you're not being fed. And that is incredibly true. You cannot help other people get healthy if you are not healthy yourself. But I would pose this this morning as well, is that it's really, really hard to be fed if you're not feeding other people. As Jesus fills our cup with wisdom and knowledge and all of these things that we desire, the call on our lives is to give them to other people. There are lessons that Jesus has intended for you to learn, but that isn't just for you That is for someone else. And as we are willing to give things away, Jesus would increase our capacity. And that's one of the most incredible things about following Jesus. Is that the wisdom that he gives us, and the knowledge that he gives us, and the lessons that he teaches us aren't something that we, when we give them away, we no longer know them. The lessons that you learn are for someone else to learn as well. And if we can be aware aware of that, it would be an absolute game changer. Peter's humanity got in the way, and it happens to all of us. His fear, his desire for self-preservation, that happens to us all the time. And that's where this thing called grace comes in, is that we've known for thousands upon thousands of years that we need the grace of Jesus because we are imperfect people. And Jesus has a different conversation with Peter before this all happens in Matthew chapter 16, Verses 18 through 19. He says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. See, failure doesn't negate God's promises. Failure doesn't negate God's promises. 
The scripture says that, that after Peter fails, he goes outside and he weeps bitterly. And I can't even imagine the pain and the guilt that Peter felt after he had done that. He had to have felt like such a failure. But I think it's important for us to learn from this lesson that Peter learned that failures and mistakes need to be identified, but they don't have to ruin us. Our failures do not ruin us. Failures do not prevent God from using us because failure is an event. Failure is a moment. Failure is not a person. You see, Peter failed, but Peter was not a failure. You have failed, but you are not a failure. I have failed so many times, but that does not make me a failure. And there are so many of us in here this morning that need to hear that because we walk through our lives and we only focus on our weaknesses. That fine line that there is to walk, we, we, we have gone the complete opposite way and we say, no, I'm, I'm no good at anything and I fail all the time and I'm unusable and I'm undesirable. And that is not true at all. Because if you don't know the story of Peter, this is the story, is that God goes to Peter and he says, I want to identify you. I want to give you an identity in me. And this is it, is that you are the rock on which I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And you are going to change everything. But then Peter fails because he's human and he's not perfect and he is messy. But then he still becomes the rock on which God builds his church. I don't know how long you've been following Jesus. I don't know if maybe you're just checking this thing out and you don't follow him yet. But God has made promises in your life and he has identified you as a child of God who has power in his name. And that is true today as it will be true tomorrow, as it will be true till the end of time. And your failures do not negate that promise on your life. God's promises are not ruined by our failures. And that is so vitally important that we understand just that. You see, our failures, failures will not defeat us. And they certainly don't prevent God from using us. The Bible is riddled with people who are failures. Riddled with people who are messy and broken. More messy and broken than anyone in this room. Murderers, adulterers, prostitutes, a combination of all three. You see, God uses the messiest people because grace shines brightest through them. Because there are people that probably were around at that time that looked at the people that God was using and saying, really, him? Really, her? That's who you're going to use? And my prayer is that this church and the people in it would be people that people look at and say, wow, they're doing incredible things despite their past. In fact, they're using their past to do incredible things. God is moving through those people. God is using the messiest of them. That's an incredible thing to know that God would be willing to use us just as he was willing to use the Moseses and the Pauls and the Rahabs and all of those people God wants to use us. Radical grace takes the shipwrecks that are our lives 
and makes them something beautiful. It brings it into order. It does something that only grace can do, and God does something that only he can do, and that is to use us. I want to jump back into chapter 22 of Luke, just verse 61. It says this. It says, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. What a moment for Peter. But I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus looked at Peter with grace, not with disappointment. You see, Jesus was not naive to Peter's imperfection. In fact, he proved that by calling the situation before it even happened. Like he looked Peter in the face and he said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no. And then he did anyway. And I think it's really easy for us to read this passage and we can say, man, I bet Jesus just looked at him and was like, seriously? Like, I gave you a heads up. Like, I told you that this was going to happen and you still messed up. No, Jesus looked at him with grace and he looked at him with understanding. And this is how we know this is because Jesus was willing to make himself man so that he could understand the human plight. You see, when Peter was worried about self-preservation and he was overestimating himself, Jesus understood that because he was fully man as well as he was fully God. And he looked at Peter and he said, I understand fear. I understand what it is to be fearful. I understand what it's like to be worried about your self-preservation. I understand those things. So when he looked at Peter, he didn't look at him and say, come on. He looked at him and said, no, I get it. And I'm still going to use you. You're still going to be somebody who goes and does incredible things in my name. Jesus also understands this, is that failures are not fatal. Failures are not fatal. When We've all made mistakes in here. Every single person in this room is imperfect. And every single person in this room is still here. We are still here. And we still get to move forward and we still get to be better than we were the day before. I mentioned earlier that my son broke his arms. He was, or broke his arm. He was on the monkey bars. And he just on Wednesday, like, he just mastered the monkey bars. And he was so excited. And so Friday, he wanted to show us and fell off and broke his arm. And one of the things that I had to get into his head, I said, Maddox, like, this, this is a bummer, man. And for the next four weeks, you're going to be in a cast and it's going to suck. But that bone is going to be stronger when you get out of that cast. You see, bones heal stronger than they were before. And I think that that's such a perfect example of what we are as people, that when we fail, we get to learn something, but we become stronger because of it. On the other side of our failures, on the other side of our mistakes, we get to look back and say, that was a terrible time. And I wish I would have never had to go through it, but I learned something from it. And I'm going to move forward in that knowledge. Verse 32 says this, it says, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I pray that your, your faith would not fail. But when you turn back, he knew that he was going to fail. And he knew that he was going to feel like a failure. And he knew that he was going to feel guilty. He knew he would weep. But he also knew that Peter had a world to change. So he wanted to encourage Peter and say, and when you turn back, when you get up from that failure, 
When you get up from that guilt, I want you to go and I want you to strengthen your brothers because they're going to need it. We have to understand that our failures are not fatal. We have to understand that there's still work to be done. And just as Peter, or just as Jesus was not naive to Peter's imperfection, he is not naive to yours and he is not naive to mine. He knows how imperfect we are. And yet he loves us anyway. He gives us grace anyway. You see, radical grace makes brokenness useful. Radical grace makes brokenness useful. Without grace, brokenness and failure are just that. They're brokenness and failure. But grace takes something and makes it into something else. It redeems every part of a situation. It redeems every part of a human being. God's grace changes everything. And just like we talked about last week, your successes, your accolades, your accomplishments do not earn you grace. Your failures, your mistake do not take grace away. God's grace is present for you now and forever. Full stop. And it's important for us to understand that at an intimate level. I cannot earn God's grace because God's grace is already here and it always will be. But you see, our relationship with Jesus is participatory. It's a two-way street. It is a gift that is freely given and it is a gift that we have to receive. We cannot refuse the grace of God and expect our lives to change. We have to allow the grace of God to overcome everything that is happening in our lives. We have to allow it to wash over us. There's so many of us in this room that are thinking, but if God only knew, can I tell you something? He knows. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows every little intimate part of your being and he loves you anyway. And maybe some of us struggle more with the, the idea of if the people in this room knew, if the people in this city knew, if the people in my life only knew but I want to encourage you this morning. If the people in your life, if the people in this room knew about your mess, maybe they would be willing to tell you their mess too. You see, there is incredible strength to be found in vulnerability. There is power to be found in authenticity. And when we are willing to tell everyone that we're not perfect, which everyone already knows anyway, and we're willing to be intimate with one another and we're willing to say, hey, like this is the mess. This is the, the deepest, darkest secrets that I have and I want you to know them. You can start to learn together. See, we follow Jesus not only as individuals, but as people in pursuit together, in process together. I can't voice the amount of times that someone has spoken into my life by simply saying, I struggled with what you are now struggling with. I went through the situation that you are now going through. Those are invaluable lessons to be learned. And every single one of us has something to teach other people. And every single one of us has something to learn from others as well. You see, grace is the tool in which Christ paints the most beautiful pictures. We all love a story, and it might be our own, and it might be someone that we know. That this is what I was doing, this is who I was, and then Jesus showed up into the picture, and he did something significant in my life. He changed everything, and now I'm here. 
And I don't understand how I'm here. Because I was really broken. And I was really messy. And now I'm just less broken and less messy. But God is so evident in my life. He's evident to the people around me. There's not a more beautiful story than seeing God take what is broken and making it holy. I want to end this morning with a question. I'm going to invite the band to come up on stage, and we're going to close with a song. But I want to end with this question. What from your past is keeping you from your future? You see, there's this lie that we've bought into that grace was only afforded to us one time. That Jesus came and he died on the cross and grace was given that day. And then we had an opportunity to like live these perfect lives. But if we mess up, then grace is no longer given to us. Grace is eternal. Grace is forever. Grace is perfect. And it was afforded to you yesterday. It will be today and tomorrow and the next day because God knows we will need it. Because we, as Peter was, are human. We're going to close with a song, and it's called Here Again. And it's new, and we've never sang it in here, but we've been singing it in our student ministries for the last few weeks. And there's a simple premise behind it, is that we can't change what has happened in the past, and we don't know what the future holds. But what we do know is that God shows up. And that here in this moment, we want God to show up again. So I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're struggling with a relationship. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. Maybe you're struggling with something else. But would you lean into the lyrics? And would you ask God to meet you right here where you're at?